1: And today we are dishing with Colleen Christensen or Christensen. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I (laughs) have met Colleen um, a time or two maybe we've presented together um, at a conference. She is kind of the brains uh, behind no food rules on Instagram. And we're going to talk intuitive eating, health at every size, um, and really just kind of some controversial Uh, topics and conversation around weight and BMI. So uh, stay tuned. But before we jump into
0: that, Gina, what is going on? What's new? Yeah. Well, I started to read the acclaimed Where the Crawdads Sing book. This is, by the way, book number 12 for me. And if for those of you who forgot, which I'm sure all of you did, I had a goal <laughs> of reading 10 books this summer and I'm on number 12, so... A not this summer. I thought it was back. this year, right? I'm sorry, this year. This yeah. year, yes, correct. Yeah, not not 10 this summer. Yeah, it was goal this Goal slayed. <laughs> yeah, I actually increased my goal, I think, to 16, which I... There's, I hope I can do that. I think that being, you know, during the whole COVID, I I know I've had more time to read and just it being summer and just a little bit more relaxed at work. I've had more time to read. And again, I got my Kindle. So I've just been flying through books. But yes, so far I'm really in love with the book. I think it's super, I mean, I'm only on page, I think maybe like 90 and I'm just, I'm really into it. So I, I can already tell what the hype is all about. It's got a little bit of, you know, mystery involved. It kind of goes back and forth um, to different decades. And I, and I love that. All right. Secondly, uh, I've been doing a lot of staining this summer and I, st- I stained recently our, uh, jungle gym, our swing set, which needed stained badly. And my mom kind of pointed that out like, Gina, are you going to stain your fence or your, um, sorry, your swing set? I hadn't even thought anything of it. I was like, I guess so. I did. <laughs> Then I decided, you know what, while I'm into the staining groove, why don't I also do our fence? So I just finished staining our fence and I have to say, it looks pretty good. It looks like an entirely new fence and I took some pictures and posted it on my personal Instagram and uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself on that. Usually I pay someone to do this kind of stuff just because I don't have time. Like for me, money is time. Time is money. and But I have the time, so I decided to do it myself. Good for you. Yeah, and other than that, you know, when this comes out, I will say you know work will be starting to get really really busy, so I'm just kind of planning for that and ready for things just to start picking up, and as we get ready for the fall semester to start
1: working at a university, I'm very curious yeah. to learn as you learn like what school's going to look like for you guys. You know, yeah. like uh-huh. just with I, I mean, I think we're all kind of just <laughs> in queue waiting for like hmm, what's fall going to bring with um, yeah. just education. Uh, lots of questions, and marks. it's
0: it's not going to be much different where I work. I mean, the, they're they're just going to be ending the they're going to be ending the semester right after Thanksgiving, so the students will not be coming back, but they're not going to be ending the education of the semester. So the students will be off campus after November, after Thanksgiving, but will be virtually learning until the end of the actual semest- oh, academic semester, academic semester. Uh huh. But I work for dining services, so things are going to look much different for us because all the students will be gone you know, after Thanksgiving, normally they come back for a few weeks. So it will definitely be weird. I'm more looking forward to, and uh, nervous about hearing how, where our school system is going to look for Paige. So she's starting kindergarten and I know Shay is as well. So I'm really curious as to what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. We have had no information given to us as of, as of yet. Same, same pretty. So, eh, we'll see. Yeah. um, Well, I know we've
1: kind of been just, you know, talking about just all matters regarding race and just starting conversations about just all things going on in the world right now. So two mentions that, you know, I've kind of committed, and I know you have too, Gina, to just kind of learning more, just Mm self-exploration and kind of like as a single person, like what can we do like you know we mm-hmm. we can't control all people but what can we do and just i think for me awareness education is a huge piece of that so yeah. um two two things that i would recommend one is um specific to kind of like blacks as um just mercy the movie it was uh recommended to me by my sister in law have you heard of the movie yes i have mm-hmm. um and it's based on a true story Fabulous movie. Absolutely okay. loved it. Highly, highly recommend.
0: And, you know, it came out and we didn't really hear anything about it, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, there wasn't much acclaim to the movie at all, I would say. Am
1: I, am I wrong? the wrong person to ask because movies okay. just really are not my thing. I would rather pick up a book. Um, but I will say yeah. that this movie was well worth uh, watching for sure. It's uh, new, right? It is fairly new. I think it, was, it came out in 2019.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I'm not thinking of the same movie then. In 2019? Okay.
1: I believe his name is, I think his name is Michael Jordan, actually. Michael B. Jordan, maybe.
0: Does it have Brie Larson in it?
1: Again, you're asking the wrong person. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to Google, though, Michael B. Jordan. I think. Okay. Uh, because it's fine. Yes, it I'll is him. look it up. He is so hot. I just <laughs> I would watch anything with him in it, but this movie is amazing. Okay, so Michael okay. B. Jordan. Um, yummy. Okay. as so that was mention number one. Mention number two is a book. Um, and I wasn't expecting it, but uh not specific to um Black Lives Matter, but as far as racism, I would say I'm only halfway through, but little fires everywhere. Oh, yeah a very popular book being made into a series is my understanding. It's Uh, already out. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. I'm seeing that now. It says Hulu right on the front of the book. Duh. Okay. So, um, highly recommend. I think so far, at least it was recommended to me. I'm halfway through pretty much can't put the book down. So, um, just Mm -hmm. two really good ways to kind of, uh, dig a little bit on, on race, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of just stirring up some emotions in yourself. Um, just conversation with, your spouse people you love um just good exploration, I would say,
0: yeah, I did like that book a lot I actually did oh, watch the I did, Mm-hmm. I did watch the first episode of the is it on Hulu or Netflix I don't even know yeah, the series Hulu, it I, looks like I couldn't even watch it like I just I am always someone who will choose the book over a movie or over a series any day, so I just i I wasn't really into the series I just wanted to read the book and be done with it i that's all I want to. That's the only perspective I want to have is the book because I, I, I don't know. I appreciated the book so much. I loved it, just like you are saying. Yeah, I just didn't need to watch the series. Didn't do anything for me.
1: Yeah, I don't know how it's where it'll go from here, but so far it's it's un, it's an uncomfortable topic for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then big change here. I yeah. bought an instant pot. Congratulations! I know. I like to <sighs> feel. Like, I deserve a badge of, like, a rite of passage, almost, like, (laughs) where have I been? And to your point, like, I don't know what my digging in was all about, but we'll see. It arrives tomorrow. Um, Okay. So hopefully by the next time we push out a show, I'll, ha- I'll have some new recipes and I can try some okay. of yours that we talked about on Healthier in a Hurry. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we kind of dig in and ta- start talking with Colleen, uh, we just wanted to ask a favor. If you're loving the show, which we hope you are, please write us a review. Uh, reviews are everything to us and really help more people find the show uh, more than you would realize. So we would appreciate it so much, especially since less and less people are commuting. Uh, podcasters, believe it or not, have had... Um, a nice dip in numbers. Lovely. So Mm -hmm. uh, we are really just trying to grow the show and your reviews uh, are probably the number one way to do that. So thank you. Um, Okay. So getting into our topic today, our listeners have probably heard me say a few things Mm -hmm. on repeat as far as living in a larger body, struggling with intuitive eating, and just kind of the place at the table for both intuitive eating and good health through nutrition. I- I am on that journey. I will probably always be on that journey. And I thought, what better than to bring on a dietitian who not only have I've had the pleasure of meeting, uh, but one that works in the field of intuitive eating and the proprietary no food rules approach to health and wellness, uh, Colleen. So I know Gina, before we bring her on, mm-hmm. you wanted to put me on the hot seat. <laughs> I did. I do. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh, so we were I was listening. I was on my Sunday run. This was a couple of weeks, or I guess it was last week at this point, where our Q and A episode had just been um, put out, and we got to the question about intuitive eating. And I think it was someone someone had asked about my thoughts on intuitive eating for those in a larger body beyond um, what might be considered quote unquote, morbidly obese, which I hate to say that. So according to BMI numbers, anything over thirty five, I believe, is what that is. Mm-hmm. And kind of what what I thought as far as how that would work with intuitive eating, and we kind of ended up getting into not an argument; it was a good conversation mm-hmm. about your view of intuitive eating versus my view. And we and it kind of, you know, I think it dawned on us both, and I and I know we've thought about it it before, and and we've even discussed this how. You are in a different size body than I am. I've never been in a larger body before and how it might be easier for me to talk about intuitive eating. And this is another reason why you're interviewing Colleen, who is also (laughs) not in a larger body. And I don't think she ever has been either. So is it easier for us to push the idea of intuitive eating since we have never had to, quote unquote, worry about our weight? And so we sort of talked about that back and forth. And my question for you, Nicole, is, I'm just really curious if you were working with a woman or a man who was, according to BMI, morbidly obese. What would you f- suggest for that person?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Colleen and I are going to talk about it in in a lot more detail in, in some research base. But, um, so spoiler alert, like you know, basically when s- research shows that a BMI of greater than 35, that is where. Really, health begins to suffer. Um, below that thirty-five threshold, you can really achieve good health, and in some instances, even uh, better health if you're taking into account things like um, endurance or you know exercise tolerance. Uh, you know, fit over fat, if you will, kind of that that notion. But um, the reality exists that BMIs, you know, <laughs> for for people who live in a thinner body, a BMI of thirty-five may sound quite high. Um and I will be fully transparent in saying my BMI hovers right at that, right at that 34 35. And um like it, 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 it like like I'm my palms are sweating, like even just saying that on a podcast because like that is like that is personal information. You know what I mean? Like that is difficult for me to share. But I think it's important for me to just be vulnerable in that way. And who am I kidding? It's not a secret that I'm overweight. You know what I mean? Like anybody can look at me and tell that I live in a larger body. And to me, a number is just a number. So what would I suggest? I would suggest weight loss. However, I think how I would suggest that is approach number one would be probably finding a movement that brings them joy. And I think that that's something that um, you know, when we talk about being a good role model for our children in all areas, I, I think exercise is one of the things that parents can do first and foremost to um, you know, kind of just bring health awareness to their children and, and help them lead a healthier life. So I think for most people who live in larger bodies, especially in that kind of class two obesity point and above, finding a movement that brings them joy can be difficult to find. It may hurt. Um, there's stigma. I mean, there there's just fear that can come into walking into a gym when you live in a larger body. So all those things, mm-hmm. I think it's really getting serious about finding that thing. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of a walking like poster for like just the irony of a larger body in in sports, if you will. Like most tennis players do not look like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> most hockey player, most women do not play ice hockey. So I, yeah. I, you know, I run, it is not pretty, but I enjoy it. It brings me joy. So I think it's one yeah. of those things where People in larger bodies have to be encouraged to move. Um, and I think that that's probably number one. So I think rather than focusing on fat loss is, you know, how do you make your body a better fuel machine? And that, that involves exercise, getting started with, on that journey. And I think from there, I think it's really um, approaching it slow and steady. I think it's redefining the relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, when I say that, what comes to mind is not necessarily intuitive eating, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's an informal intuitive eating. Like I don't, I think I, I think I mean intuitive eating when I say that, but I probably have a different approach about it. I Mm -hmm. think of things like just redefining health habits. Like, do you cook from home? You know, like how many of your meals are away from home? Mm -hmm. What do you drink? do you drink water do you drink enough water so i think it's not necessarily you know flipping a person's behaviors and all of that like on their head you know most people if they step into my office assume that they're going to be leaving counting calories writing everything down you know just mm-hmm. kind of go from this is a new leaf this is a new me i'm kind of more uh, you know research shows that setting goals that are Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, that doing that in a stepwise approach is is most effective for adult behavior change. So I think that's where I would start.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I would encourage weight loss. But I wouldn't encourage it from the point of like we have to get that number down. I would encourage it from we have to find a new life for you because this isn't working.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And at yeah. that point, if your BMI is hovering in that class two obesity or above stage, I I you know I think. I think it's really person dependent, but um, I, I feel pretty confident that most people through some changes can that get their BMI to a safer place. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I agree with everything you said. I'm glad like what I was, I didn't think you were going to say it, but I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of dietitians will start putting someone on a, they wouldn't call it a diet, but okay, here's how many calories you need to lose this many pounds of, of fat or weight per week or per month. And, you know, here's what you can do with your current diet to reduce as many calories a day. And that's just, that does not work. It doesn't work, at least not in the long run. Mm-hmm. And that's then really the question is, what's what's the purpose then if it doesn't work for the long run? I think a lot of what you said is really kind of intuitive eating, but we can make an <laughs> <a laughs> argument later. Yeah. I know what you're saying. You're saying that you still don't necessarily 100% agree with the intuitive eating approach. But a lot of what you just said is really along the same uh, thought process of intuitive eating. It's changing habits, making goals, changing mindset, not looking necessarily at the weight on the scale or the calories that you're consuming, but just changing your approach to food and your relationship to food, which is a lot of what you said
1: okay but, so I think it's just a bit of a reverse so I think okay. that almost before before developing a trusting relationship with food I think mm-hmm. you first have to change a bit of your food environment that's what I think oh, and I yeah. think once the food environment is down then somebody can start to to build a trusting relationship with themselves and food I think because mm-hmm. you know for somebody who doesn't change perhaps like what's available in the home and you just you know maybe broach the topic of intuitive eating like, the, the tools are not there to be successful right like we need to i mean there has to be um there has to be talk about nutrition at some point like what is nutritious what is how can we increase the nutritional value of of what it is that you're eating not to say that all foods don't fit because that's that's definitely true but you know for people who i really the people i struggle because i do a lot of counseling in my job the people i struggle with most are the ones who are either unwilling or just cannot seem to wrap their minds around the importance of eating in the home, like Mm -hmm. making food, like figuring out how to feed themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. If you can't,
1: you have to do that three times a day, whatever. You have to do that, like, every day, multiple times. Like, you have to figure that piece out. Like, food is so important to figure out. Mm -hmm. And people are just like, I don't want to do it. Just just tell me what to eat. Like, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. (sighs) It's going to work for a week. I can tell you what to eat. I can give you a meal plan, but that is not going to work in the long run. Mm -hmm. You have to redefine your food environment.
0: I agree. And you have to have a basic knowledge of what is, you know, health promoting and what is not. Not (laughs) to say again that you can't eat the other things. It's just you need to have that basic knowledge. And I think you also need that basic support in the person or people that you're living with or that you're around day to day or else it's going to be a struggle. Um, that's kind of like the whole breastfeeding thing. It's it's You can do it. Yeah. The most important thing is though that you need to have some basic knowledge about what you're doing and you also need to have support, especially um, amongst the people that you're living with day to day. So, Absolutely. Okay, great. I love that. I love your
1: question. It was good.
0: <laughs>
1: good answer too. Thanks. All right, Gina, without further ado, let's bring on Colleen. You guys are going to love this interview. It's great. Here we go. All right, listeners, I am here with Colleen Christensen, um, which she just informed me she also uh, likes to say Christensen. So that's your that's your married name, right? (laughs) Yes. So um, and you were just it's a it's a beautiful day. You were just telling me you're out rollerblading.
2: Yes, it's like my new I don't know, like during quarantine, rollerblading has like made this comeback. And I rushed out to get myself. Some first of all, it took me forever to find some because I swear they were like sold out. Um, but then I just got so into it. It was just like so nostalgic and so fun. I am not very good at it. My limbs are flying everywhere, but it's just so much fun. It was a gorgeous morning. So yeah, that's what I did this morning. So funny.
1: I feel like quarantine has brought out nostalgia in a lot of people in a yes. lot of different ways.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I mean tie-dye biker shorts, like yeah it's like a throwback like time right now.
1: <laughs> the biker shorts seem to come out of nowhere. I was like, yes. <laughs> and admittedly, I think I first saw them on 90 Day Fiance. And I was like, what is she wearing?
2: And now they're just <laughs> everywhere. I may or may not be wearing a pair right now.
1: <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, well, so you and I, Colleen, we, we met a couple years ago. And, and I yeah. want to get into kind of like who you are and what you do and all of that. But I was thinking, you know, after scheduling this interview with you, I was like, some, some people in your life, you've just, you feel like they've always kind of been there, even if it's mm-hmm. from afar. And I feel like you're one of those people in my life. And I was like, where did we meet? And I was like, oh, it was at a dairy thing for Michigan. And then mm-hmm. I was like, yes were you there too? Yes. Okay. And then also we did present together at the Michigan Academy mm-hmm. of Nutrition and Dietetics. Okay. So we, we have like a history and more than I, mm-hmm. when I, my memory is terrible. So it is, this is a hundred percent on me, but we, we presented together about blogging and I don't, what year was that?
2: It was the year I graduated from Michigan State, so 2014, because um, it, it was the weekend of my graduation. Yeah, that was, I mean, feels so long ago, and it was just, oh my gosh, so much has changed since I, then. But yeah, it's crazy please. how you're someone, I mean, your life's just kind of, you have these different paths that cross, and I mean, it's just, everyone's kind of, there's always a reason, you know? It's so, so 2014. So you were like a baby dietitian. I was a baby. You I was were a baby.
1: <laughs> a baby, baby dietitian. Okay. And yeah. so tell, tell me, tell us a little bit about like where your career has taken you since like graduation day.
2: Yeah. So I, I guess it was because we met, like we said, during that time and we talked about blogging in the dietetic space. And at that time, I had been blogging for. Uh, less than a year at that point, I would say maybe about a year. Um, and then I continued to do that, just kind of talking about recipes and whatnot um, on and off for the next up until now. So I had been doing this since 2014. Um, and throughout that time, after I graduated, I did my dietetic internship and then. Um, I went on to do some clinical work and I worked with inborn errors of metabolism. So a very, very small specialty Um, kind of think of different genetic disorders and uh, you can't break down certain things like certain parts of protein, certain types of carbs, certain types of fats, those sorts of things. Um, And then I have come to where I am today. So kind of along that journey. When I was in college, the later years and into my internship, I personally had a very, very unhealthy relationship with food. I was very restrictive. I had very poor body image. I, you know, succumbed to a lot of the diet culture messages that thinner is better, thinner is healthier, and we have to quote unquote, eat clean all the time. And it was just a very, very unhealthy relationship. And food was kind of, food and my body were the way that I coped. It was how I coped with the stress. I mean, I was very type A perfectionist, very hard on myself and that was how I coped. So it was around the time of my internship when I was like, okay, I need help. I kind of had this wake up call and I had like kind of half, you know, put effort into it for the few years prior. But it was when I had moved across the state with my then boyfriend, now husband, when I was like, okay, this, I can't have this be a horrible relationship with food in my body for the rest of my life. So that was when I really, that was oh, five years ago now um that i really took this seriously and started to do the work myself to improve my relationship with food and body and at the time i then began my career in inborn errors of metabolism and to be honest with you i <clears throat> told myself i would never really go into the space of your relationship with food i just thought that was going to be something that would hit too close to home for me i had made so much progress i was you know feeling good about my relationship with food again, but I never really thought that I would make it my career because I just wasn't sure that that was something that I was going to want to do. But as time went on, I realized that for me, it would have made my transition and improving my relationship with food, (coughs) excuse me, so much, so much faster and so much easier had I had someone there who was very open about the process, who could help me through it, who could show me that they have gone through it too. And could show me that light at the end of the tunnel, because I didn't have that. I went through a lot of kind of trial and error. Um, I talked to a lot of people who didn't necessarily, for me, it was really important that I had someone to talk to who had been in my shoes, um, and that could really empathize with me. And I just felt like I didn't have that. So then I'm, you know, in my career as a metabolic dietitian. And I just kept feeling this pull that I had to be that person that I didn't have that could help other people find this freedom faster. And that's kind of where my career has taken me today. I then started my business kind of just on the side, just to kind of see, is this something, is this my calling in essence? Like Mm -hmm. that sounds so kind of airy fairy, but I was like, okay, let's, let's dabble in this, let's see how it feels. And it just felt so right. And I really just started, like I said, really being that person that I didn't have. Um, And then I transitioned to now this is my full-time career where I help women break their food rules and really stop diets and restricting foods so that they can start eating the foods that they want when they want without guilt, stress, or anxiety, but more importantly, so that they can get their life back. So they can find that mental and physical balance. And I do that through my approach to intuitive eating, Um, really helping women get rid of this diet culture cycle and shift from those outward appearances into our inward body and kind of really reconnect with that because it's gotten so lost through diet culture messages and what we think is quote unquote healthy that we lose we lose sight of our bodies and what we're actually feeling. So, long story short, that's been kind of my my trajectory with my career.
1: Ah, uh, I love that. And so, if I may ask, like, at what point did you fully transition away from clinical and into kind of the private practice space? Because I mean, I consider you as a private practice cons- consultant. Yes. Based. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat>
2: yes. <Yeah>, so I <laughs> glad we
1: agree about your business.
2: No, <laughs> August sixteenth was my last day as a metabolic dietitian, last year. So okay. it hasn't even been a full year of myself in business full-time. So then I uh, was, got, a, uh, it's been about two and a half years that I've been in business, but it's been coming up on a year now for me in this business full-time. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing. And congratulations because so many Thank people, you. I think, so many dietitians want to be there and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it can be a hard road. So I think that hybrid approach that you held on to for, you know, a number Mm -hmm. of years, I mean, you have to have some stamina to be holding down a full-time job and be pursuing, you know, your side hustle that you want to make into, into your gig. And that's, um, you know, speaking as somebody who's been in that space for 11 years (laughs) as a blogger and, you know, it's, it's difficult, but, um, I mean, Kudos! That's amazing, amazing, and speaks volumes to you know what you're doing for people. That's huge. Um, Thank you. And I think it's good for. I, we have a lot of like new or soon to be dietitians that listen to the show, mm-hmm. and I know there's so much debate as to whether young dietitians should enter the clinical space before yes. kind of branching out. And mm-hmm. so it's probably just a breath of fresh air to hear your story, and that you know there can be light at the end of the tunnel. You don't have to wait until your 40s or your 50s to kind of break into that space. Mhm. Yes, totally. Love it. Um so I want to talk a little bit about the health at every size philosophy mm-hmm. and you know just for listeners, you know that philosophy is is really that unrealistic expectations and social stigma. Um it, it's really the root of many individuals weight issues and as much as 70% of an individual's weight is dictated by genetics. Um 90% of people fail on diets and 60% of those who Lose weight, end up gaining more than what they lost, and and that's all from a recent art. We're going to link that in the show notes. Um, and then beyond that, so I mean, weight status is huge. I come from a cl- a fairly clinical space. I, I like to have <laughs> an arm in both, but mm-hmm. um, you know, health risks that are associated with health at every size exists that do, do exist. Uh, kind of depend on the degree of obesity, and I think for me as a dietitian in a larger body, here's where the science and and the the living um, sometimes. I just I'm I'm constantly dancing with it. So research shows um, from the Centers for Disease Control uh, and Prevention that you know of a very large study, 2.88 million individuals found that having a BMI above 35 was associated with a higher death rate when compared to normal weight individuals. So when we say normal weight, we're talking of BMI of roughly 20 to 25. However, those with a BMI of 30 to just under 35 had no greater death rate. Um, And actually, um, this is interesting because it's research that spans beyond kind of the the older population, but a BMI of 25 to 30 was associated with significantly lower death rate as to compared to those with normal weight. You know, when I was in school, which was a long time ago, um, we had learned that morbidity and mortality was lowest at a BMI of 27 to 32. And so when I think of that, you know, people who are in, you know, fourth quarter of life, let's say that having some adiposity is actually a, a helpful um, thing. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, is is the health at every size philosophy something that you warmly embrace or do you kind of toggle with that you know where does the science meet the the reality of intuitive eating and haze
2: yeah and i'm i'm going to be totally honest with you i always am i'm an open book mm-hmm. but at first health at every size was really tough for me to grasp um, just because it's so different from anything that we've been taught and we We're just, it's just so, such a different way to kind of think about things. And it really, it really does rock your world. I mean, we think of things one way and then it's so easy to kind of look at these studies and just see, okay, well, this is correlated with this. But one thing I'm always constantly reminding myself, reminding my audience, is that correlation does not necessarily mean causation. And especially with studies, I always ask myself, I'm kind of like, okay, well, what other lifestyle factors? are these, you know, this, is this population experiencing? So if someone has a higher BMI, did they, have they constantly been weight cycling? And we know that going on diets and weight cycling is going to increase our set point weight. Um, and really kind of, we want to, are going to, in essence, pack on more body to prevent that starvation, that diet that's going to that our body thinks is going to come. So I think there's a lot more digging than just looking at that number. Okay. What kind of lifestyle factors, the people who are in maybe the lower BMI, did they have less weight cycling? Did they have less diets that they've been on? So their weight is more stable. Um, I think that there's a lot more questions that we need to be asking and it's, it's, it's easier to just look at a number and be like, okay, that's what we're basing this off of it becomes a lot more challenging to think about all of the other different kind of lifestyle factors out there. Um, I would say anyone who is interested in health at every side, because I mean, I think that the best thing to do is always to the health at every size book. Highly, highly recommend that because it really, it's a long book. I have it on audible. Um, I'm an audible lover. Um, <laughs> It's hefty. There's a lot of information in there, so I definitely recommend going straight to the source for that and really kind of digging into that side of things to explain it. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not the best, you know, person at explaining necessarily the health at every size approach. I always say go back to the book and kind of get if you really want the 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 meaty stuff like studies, they're all in there. Um, But I think bottom line, there's so much more to BMI that we need to be thinking about. And I think those lifestyle factors, we also know that those are more, you know, determinant of our health versus just the weight itself and the health at every size book really talks about that. Also body respect is another really good one. Um, it's by one of the same authors writes it. And it again, really kind of breaks down weight stigma and kind of the socioeconomic impacts that, um, can happen as well but i i think that embracing it with a place of curiosity is really important and know that you're going to feel challenged and that's okay and it's okay to feel this pull and this push like okay should i this controversy i guess it's totally normal to have that inner controversy and i think that shows that you're expanding your your knowledge it shows that you're challenging yourself and finding what you believe in Um, So I think that that push and pull, that kind of dance that you're describing is totally normal and should be something that's embraced because that's going to allow us to have even more conversations about this and kind of expand the way that we think about BMI, the way that we think about weight. And it's going to bring up these really important conversations that we should be having.
1: Mm hmm. So when you're working with clients and um, I mean, is weight a factor at all in kind of your approach with each individual or where do you see kind of your no food rules approach intersect with optimal health?
2: Yes. Very good question. So I always, whenever clients work with me, if they come into my membership, I'm very, very transparent that we do not focus on our weight because anytime we focus on the weight and we focus on you know, because I'm, I'll be totally honest with you. I mean, weight loss, weight maintenance, and weight gain, they all happen when you start listening to your body. That's finding your set point weight, which health at every size talks about too. It's almost like our bodies have this thermostat where they feel best at, and they can keep it within that range where it feels good, where it's functioning optimally, but we have to listen to our body. And that's where diet culture comes in and kind of robs that. And that, is going to increase our set point weight. Because like I said, our bodies are going to be like, oh shoot, well, mm-hmm. she's going to take food from me. So I need to pack on as much as I can right now because that diet's right around the corner. Um, so I think that we always come in with the idea that we're going to let our weight fall where it, where it happens. But what I always say is we're going to focus on listening to our bodies because that's really the best thing to do. I mean, no app, no person can no equation can tell you exactly as much as we want to say we can go online and look at those you know resting metabolic rates and have that be the amount of calories that we're going to eat a day that's just there's so much more to our energy intake that that just can't capture so really you have to listen to your body because i've just been doing a lot of research on the menstrual cycle and even within that i mean our metabolic rates adjust there's so many different things your body could be fighting something off where it just needs more energy um So, really, the best thing to do is listen to your body and focus on the way that it feels and with that, you know, weight loss may happen if you are coming from a place of you're really focusing on you're using food to cope, you're emotionally eating weight loss very well may be something that happens if you are restricting food and you're trying to strive for this, you know this beauty standard that diet culture is telling us we need, you're restricting food then weight gain might happen. And some also maintain their weight. So we focus a lot on the way your body feels and the w- along with your food choices too. So how do you feel when you eat, you know, certain foods, certain food patterns versus how you have another type of food pattern. And I think that this not only allows you to feel that physical, you know, that physical feeling that we're looking for, That feeling of well-being, but it also allows you to do it from a place where it's sustainable because that's what makes you feel good good because every single person, I mean, we have different bodies, right? So different things are going to make us feel good. And then we also come in at the approach of the mental. So I always say, I want you to feel mentally and physically amazing. And people are like, well, what the heck do you mean by you want me to feel (laughs) mentally amazing? Like, what does that even mean? my stance is that your food choices should not make you feel stressed. Your food choices should allow you to still feel that joy. You should still be able to go to a birthday party and have the cake, even though, you know, if you ate cake all day long, maybe you wouldn't feel so great. That wouldn't make you feel physically amazing, but that's going to really contribute to that mentally amazing where you're able to celebrate life. You're able to enjoy it. So we really work on that balance where you can find both things. And that is again, if you focus on both of those, where your weight is going to fall in that set point weight where you feel both of those things, you can find that I hate the term balance because I feel like it's so thrown around, but you that's in essence what you're finding is that balance. And that is where your body's going to function optimally. And I really think that health and well-being is more of a feeling than it is a number that we're striving for. And if we focus on, you know, that number on the scale, then whether, no matter what happens to that number, it is going to impact the way that you listen to your body, because we're going to want to kind of manipulate that. You know, that's just, we look at a number, just our human being, especially those who struggle with food, we like control. We like to see quote unquote progress. Um, so I think that you just, one of the first things I say is you got to get rid of the scale. I was literally just in my membership before this and saw a picture of someone finally today was like I'm done, smashed the scale. It was shattered in pieces, and I'm like you go, girlfriend. Focus on the way that body feels.
1: Mm-hmm. I am a firm believer in set point theory. Unfortunately, I have mm-hmm. a long-standing history of restriction as well. Um, I mean, starting very early in life too. I mean, 13. It, I mean, it probably started for me, and and I was obese at that stage. Uh, but I, I think the. Where I really realized how strong set point theory is was after having children, um, mm-hmm. and, and just pregnancy in general. I would say, you know, I ate very intuitively during those times. I, you know, I didn't pay attention to to calories. I, I really just focused on continuing, you know, le- leading an active life and raising, uh, you know, <laughs> incubating a healthy child. Right, that was my goal. Mm-hmm. And gained forty pounds in one pregnancy, twenty pounds with the other, which, quite frankly, was more than I should have gained based on my BMI. Um, if you were talking to an obstetrician and Mm-hmm. Um, basically within a week, give or take, I'll say 10 days um, with each pregnancy, all of that weight was off. It was like my, it was truly like water and fluids and blood and all like baby, mm-hmm. like listen to like all the things that you Gain in pregnancy that isn't weight, you know, and so I think it was for me, you know, the weight came off so quickly that you know the diet culture that's ingrained in me was like, all right, let's keep the party going, let's go. I have plenty to lose, but it was a hard stop. And then it it was it was amazing to me that for the first time in my life, I saw, (laughs) you know, something like that happen on the scale, and then just the inability for it to move any further. It was like, you know what, Nicole this is probably where you're meant to be, you know? And and mm-hmm. honestly, I've been the exact same weight ever since. And my oldest is going to be six coming up. Yeah. So it's and I powerful. Think
2: that, yes. It's powerful. It's also terrifying. I'll be totally, totally <laughs> yeah. honest. It's terrifying because you are jumping in and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen to my body because, and especially again, those people who Myself included, struggle with food. We're perfectionists, we're planners. We like to know what the outcome is and just being able to be like, okay, I'm just going to see what happens. Like, I'm giving up the sense of control that I've been holding on to for so long. It's terrifying, but it's so. So, if you're, if anyone out there listening is like, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm just not sure, like, I can do it. You can do it. I mean, it's so freeing to be able to be like, you know what? I'm just going to let my body do what it's going to do. And we're going to roll with it because that is where that balance, that balance between that mental and physical feeling really comes in. And you're, you're just able to focus more on life. I mean, we only have one of these lives to live. We can't be sitting here, you know, not having those experiences like with your little ones, having ice cream or, you know, focusing on those things. Those are the experiences that matter in this life. And just, it really just takes giving up that, that control and allowing your body to fall where it can be. And
1: I think the joy leaves when you're measuring or counting or quickly mm-hmm. logging it into an app to see if it, you know, fits within your allocated mm-hmm. macros. I mean, then it's gone, right? Like you've you've lost right. the pleasure. You've completely ruined it. Um and I think when I gave up that stuff, I you know, I, I think you're like me. We we pack a lot into a day and mm-hmm. um there's only so much time in a day. I don't think I realized how time consuming um Food journaling, logging, counting, oh measuring weight that is exhausting work, and yes. to rid that of your in your life it's it it freedom is what is the word that comes to mind I mean mm-hmm. complete freedom,
2: yes, I did a YouTube video, so I logged in my fitness pail. It was I had a nine hundred day in a row streak that is no missed days that is. I mean, Mm -hmm. that first of all, it's not even the total time that I was using it because there was obviously days before that, that, you know, I had missed or gone on vacation or something and didn't do it, but I had done 900 days in a row. And then, so I, I can't remember what it was. I have it in the video. I did the math. I was like, okay, let's say I did two minutes per meal, one minute per snack, three meals a day, maybe two snacks. And I just remember like the hours and the days that it equated to. And I was like, I just lost that much life. Like, oh my gosh, it's just so eye opening. And you gain so much time and mental space that is just, oh my gosh, it's literally life changing.
1: Yeah. So interesting. Um, I just want to quickly read uh, just a quote from a recent today. It's, yeah, it's a pretty recent today's dietitian article. I don't know if you've heard of Ellen Gofsky, but she's a fellow RD. And she says, it's okay to be obese if you're taking care of yourself and your health. Um, and it sounds like your approach, it, it jives with that. Is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah. And like I said, I mean, numbers, they they can't capture, you can't look at someone or look at a number and tell someone's health. Um, you, It's really more to me about those lifestyle factors and those have more of an impact than those numbers. Because if we're you know, going on these yo-yo diets, like I said, we know that's going to lead to weight gain. That's going to increase our set point weight. Um, but there's so many other different things that you can do to take care of your health that maybe is not going to make the scale budge because that's where your body wants to be, but they're going to have a huge impact on your health because those, you know, focusing on those healthy lifestyle behaviors is what's really going to make that difference versus trying to really put yourself back in that cycle that we know is just going to lead to weight gain. So, you know, moving your body, maybe it doesn't make the pounds shut off. Maybe eating, you know, the carrots doesn't make you start to lose weight, but those actions, those, you know, incorporating those things into your day from a healthy standpoint, not a restrictive standpoint, or the idea that it's going to change the way that you look can be very, very beneficial for our health.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And we touched on set point theory and you have a great explanation on your website. I won't go to it, but everybody should go check it out. i just talking about how it's the Goldilocks weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so is in working with clients and kind of knowing what you know about set point theory and that sometimes weight gain is not bad, is there a mm-hmm. threshold for where weight gain would no longer be acceptable?
2: So I don't, I would say no, as long as you're listening to your body. Now, here's a really interesting thing is that a lot of people, so if we put this threshold on it, then we're going to be scared of crossing that threshold, right? So what they found in, I'm I'm sure you know the study, the Minnesota semi-starvation study, absolutely fascinating. It's like one of the classic studies. They found that basically they put people in a state of semi-starvation which essentially is a diet they lost weight and then when they allowed them to eat again they allowed them to eat ad lib so whenever they wanted then they actually overshot their fat mass by 145 percent. but then in about a year it took them to come back to about five percent of their within about five percent of their pre-starvation weight so their you no know, their set point weight essentially because they had never really done dieting before then um it putting a limit on it can prevent you from coming full circle because a lot of times we may kind of do that quote unquote what some people call overshoot weight, and that's normal. That is your body using that energy to in essence repair itself. Whereas if we put that kind of restriction, a lot of people do this. To be honest, and I did this at first too, and that's part of why I made this my career to help other people avoid these mistakes. That okay, I I'm I'm okay with gaining weight as long as it's under X pounds, or I'm okay with gaining weight as long as it just turns into muscle. You know, we have these caveats, but when that happens, then we're going to be still manipulating our food intake. We're going to be like, okay, well, I better be a little careful because I don't want to go over that number as hard and as counterintuitive to what diet culture is telling us, we kind of have to just let go and let be. I heard a really good quote the other day that, you know, letting yourself eat, find your set point weight, go through this process. It's not about letting yourself go. It's about letting yourself be. And we're really just, it's a process. It's a process. You're not just going to magically find your set point weight. There's going to be you know some ups and downs and i personally experienced the overshoot too um i remember looking back i gained i talk about it in one of my youtube videos i gained a total of 30 pounds um and i'm not necessarily right now 30 pounds i can feel i'm not where i was when i had gained all that weight um some people might gain more some people might gain less but you know everyone's journey is different and just really putting those caps or those caveats in there can kind of impair you really, truly coming full circle.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it can be a scary thought, but it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And I've just, I lean in a hundred percent now because I, I have learned that it, I am a much happier person when I am not trying to um, outsmart my set point. Uh, I love it. That's awesome advice. Uh, So we know an integral part of intuitive eating is eating foods that you enjoy rather than the foods you, quote, should be eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what if somebody, and I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who struggle with this, um, if not with uh, themselves, with their children, what if someone says that all the foods they like aren't healthy?
2: hmm So I think that there, that opens a much bigger conversation. So I'd kind of challenge that a little bit. And I think the first thing that I would say is, first of all, what are you defining as quote unquote healthy? So a lot of times people are like, well, I don't like kale. I don't like, you know, these plain things. I don't like smoothie bowls. To be honest, I don't like kale either. So I don't eat it. Um, and it's almost like you have to redefine what healthy means to you. Um, And just really allowing yourself to say, okay, what makes me feel good? And I would really, really hit this point home that wanting to eat all those quote-unquote junk foods at first, so all the cookies, the cakes, that is 180% normal. So if you're like, I tried this for like a day and all I did was eat cookies, that's totally normal and that's to be expected because our bodies, we've said these foods are bad for so long. We've said they're off limits. So when you finally say, okay, you can have these, there's no restriction, you're going to want to eat a lot of them because your body doesn't know how to really kind of self-regulate those. And it kind of is like, oh my gosh, she's letting me eat the cookies now. I better stock up while I can. It's really this last supper phenomenon that we're like, okay, these are usually restricted. So I'm going to go ham on them right now (laughs) so that, you know, I can kind of get my fill. So That's really normal at first. And I can tell you, I can't, I can't tell you how many times that, like I said, women will come into my membership and they're like, I'm, I kind of don't believe this. Like you're telling me that I'm going to get to the point where I'm not going to want to eat cookies all day long, where I'm going to crave carrots. And they're just skeptics. And then they're like, oh my gosh, girlfriend, it happened to me. I just wanted the crunchy carrots. You know, I didn't feel like eating the chips. Like I don't, this is crazy. If you listen to your body, then it is going to to show you what feels good. And but that takes time. So if anyone out there listening is like, okay, well I tried this for a week, you got to do it longer. Like I know it's tough, and I almost think that like, I, I, again, I also heard this um, analogy the other day. It was I'm, pr- I'm not gonna I'm probably gonna butcher this. It's not gonna be word for word, but when a toddler's learning to walk, so in essence, when we're learning to repair our relationship with foods, we're learning to listen to our bodies. When that toddler is learning to walk and they get up and they fall down, we don't scold them. We're not like, you idiot. Like, what did you just do? We applaud them and we say, okay, try again. So that's really kind of the approach that I would say to this person is to say, well, if you think that you don't, you know, you're know, you gonna only eat those foods all the time. Keep trying, keep exploring your options, keep giving yourself that permission because then you're start going to start to eat them in a way that feels good to you, right? And you're going to, not necessarily feel that pull towards them and it's 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 totally a process and just be very very kind to yourself but at the same time like i said also really challenge what you're thinking is quote unquote healthy because it's that term is just so deep rooted in diet culture now itself that we don't even know what the heck that means it's not all just kale and smoothies and all this stuff it can be whatever makes you feel good and that takes exploration right and it's also going to look different for everyone else so sometimes i will tell people like well what's your version of healthy like what does that look like to you what does that mean to you what does that feel like to you so those are just some different things that you can really think about when it comes to that that term healthy that i feel like i have such a love-hate relationship with because it's thrown everywhere i mean you see it on Mm -hmm. pinterest you see all these recipes that are titled healthy well, what does that really mean? Right. It's it's so individualized to every single person.
1: Well, and we talk about it with children all the time, but I, you know, having worked in adult, you know, clinical with diabetes, my entire career, I can tell you a lot of adults have not tried half of the foods that they, you know, exist. And it's like, Mm -hmm. why don't we try something new? Like you might Mm -hmm. like it. (laughs) You know, it's, um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's one point. And I, this is just kind of a goofy comment, but I think it was a sex in the city quote that it was like, however long you dated somebody, you get half that length yes! to like get over Another that episode. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel like, I think the approach here, like you said, you cannot, diet culture is ingrained in us from mm-hmm. such a young age. I mean, my my five-year-old knows what the word fat means. Mm-hmm. I didn't teach her that. Like that, that mm-hmm. comes through- her living life. Right. And how do I, as a parent shelter her from that? I I haven't figured that one out and and I probably never will. But, um, what I know is like, I I had diet culture so deeply ingrained in me and I still struggle with it, but getting to that, like just embracing, like just Mm -hmm. health at every size, um, intuitive eating, you know, that's a journey for me, but I mean, a week, I would say people need to be expecting years of growth Mm -hmm. here to really get to that point where they can trust their body and develop that tr- that relationship with food that's like rewarding and um rather than transactional like if i do this my body's going to do that just focusing on no 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 what's food going to do for me like mm-hmm. i'm done like you know this transactional thing it's not working yes yeah. um yeah i love that sex in the city episode <laughs> oh such a good show my husband
2: asked me the other day he's like so how many times have you gone through Sex and the City and I was like, oh, like three or four, it's fine. It's like my background music. Like I just have always have it on, on the TV. <laughs>
1: it's, it's the best show ever.
2: It is. <laughs> um, I love it. So
1: health at every size is often misinterpreted as just completely letting go of a healthy diet, mm-hmm. healthy lifestyle. Do you encounter any similar misinterpretations and how do you help those help people kind of balance no food rules with still a lifestyle that supports good health?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I love this question. So I feel like what I really really strive to do is because on social media it can seem like okay when you let go of your food rules when you start to approach intuitive eating it's cookies and cakes and all this all day long and I love 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 the gentle nutrition side of things because that's what makes me feel best right so that's I'm a dietitian I still love the the science part of things and I think that that's what makes my approach and just my brand. And my message really unique is that I'm like, Oh, it's okay to want those things. It's okay to want to, you know, still choose healthy options and to live your healthiest life. Heck, I'm all for that too. And so I really, I empower people to find that. And, but I think it's very, it it can be a slippery slope, let's be honest. And I think that again, it's, we have to, it's not letting yourself go. It's letting yourself be. So I think that that's a really important thing to kind of take into consideration. But I always say kind of my rule of thumb when thinking about those healthier options, I say it's 180% fine to pick the quote unquote healthier option, right? If you want to eat a salad, that's totally fine, but you should not feel anxiety towards the quote unquote unhealthy version. So kind of thinking, let's take the example of like bread. I use this example a lot. So you're in the grocery store, there's two different breads. You have, you know, just white wonder bread and then you have a thick, seedy, whole grain bread. And you're like, okay, well this one has more fiber. It's got some, you know, more nutrients in there. So I'll choose that one. Totally fine. But you should not feel stress or anxiety or guilt or shame or any of those things if that you know, great CD bread was off the shelf. They were ran out of it. You shouldn't feel anxiety if all you have is the white wonder bread. That's kind of my rule of thumb and saying, okay, is this a food rule that I have to choose the healthier option? Or is it a food preference that I'm making an active choice? But I know that it's not the end all be all. It's not tied to my worth. Um, that's really kind of the the rule of thumb because I'm all for, you know, like I said, choosing those quote unquote healthier options. If it's coming from a place of, okay, this is going to, you know, benefit my health. This is something that's going to satisfy me. That's huge too. You have to think about the satisfaction or are you going to leave the table, you know, feeling like eh, that, you know, didn't really hit the spot. That's just as important as nutrition. And I think that it more than just, you know, you know, what's healthier than eating kale, having a healthy relationship with food. I mean, we see that Mm -hmm. quote all over Pinterest. And I think that's so, so true.
1: Kale. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, I like Kale. I just I just think it's so laughable that Kale is like <laughs> the the poster child for like dietitians. Yes. <laughs> um it's just humorous to me. Okay, so I almost nixed this question because I've been doing a lot of research. It's just an interesting time right now with everything going on with Black Lives Matter. It has opened so much beyond just discrimination in general, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say is it's kind of like floodgates right now, and I've mm-hmm. seen a lot about thin privilege on mm-hmm. social media, and um that is a very hotly debated controversial, even just um you know like name thin privilege. Um, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious, as somebody who lives in a smaller body, um, do you identify at all with that? Or um I I don't I I I don't mean that in any offense at all. I'm I'm just curious, like, does that resonate at all with you?
2: Yes, it does. 180%. I (laughs) let's be real. I mean, having a smaller body from diet culture standpoint is praised. It's something that can whether you see it readily or not can give you advantages in life because like i said diet culture has made us seem like being thin is tied to being happier it's tied to success it's tied to likability there's so many things and these things all are totally bogus i mean we especially diving into the health at every size and really the body positivity movement we know that's not true And I think that we, we're starting to make great strides in really debunking those connections, but we got a long way to go because diet culture is a beast. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. I totally do realize that I live in a smaller body and yes, my weight has fluctuated. I've had weight gain, I've had weight loss, but bottom line is that I do feel like I have been privileged and I feel like sometimes I, you know, wonder myself, I'm like, is that why people listen to me is that I have a more quote unquote acceptable body. And that's what allows my message to get to more people. Um, it, it's something that I feel like I think about a lot and it's a big reason of why I created my membership. So I have a community of women where I help them implement Food freedom. We, I teach them my approach to intuitive eating, and the reason why I started that, I was doing a lot of one-on-one work. But then I, I want, I was, I felt like I was constantly connecting women, because I don't know what it's like to be in a larger body, and I'll be the first person to say that. I, I can, you know, help you with what's helped me with body image, but if I recognize that someone in a larger body sometimes might not want to listen to me, and that's okay. You all, everyone has the right to decide what makes, you know, what messages resonate with them. And that's why I created my membership to have a wide variety of women of all shapes, sizes, colors, that we can all talk about these things. It's not just from my point of view, which to be honest, some people find that hard to resonate with. So that was something that I did. Okay, how can I diversify my message? How can I give, you know, all shapes, sizes, and colors support? So that's kind of how I've started to approach that. And I think the biggest thing for me with thin privilege is that I recognize it and I'm trying to use it for good. I'm trying to spread, I, like I said, people might listen, my, like sometimes I wonder, is my brand successful because I am quote unquote, you know, what diet culture would say is the beauty standard, um, but I can still use that platform, that message, that privilege to share about health at every size to be able to spread this message even more and help open everyone else's eyes so that we can all start to feel comfortable in our our bodies no matter what um you know shape size whatever it might be and to be honest with you too something that I think about is would it also maybe be easier in this space or easier in my message if I was a different body size you know would I be more relatable if I lived in a larger body or because I'm, I'm gangly as heck. I mean, I am like, I'm a thin girl. um, And you are so funny. would, Would, would my message be spread more? And that's something that, you know, weighs on me. I'm getting much better at it. You know, this is my, this is my body. This is who I am. I, I'm not going to, you know, stuff myself with food just to fit an image of, you know, what someone might resonate with more because you will never make everyone happy. All you can do is focus on yourself and focus on your life. What makes you feel good? Um, but yeah, thin privilege, privilege. I definitely think I, I do have it and I think it's real. Um, and all I can say is, is if anyone else out there is kind of wondering about that or like, do I have thin privilege? Do your best to use that privilege that you've been given to spread more messages to help debunk all of these myths out there and help everyone start to feel more more comfortable in their own bodies.
1: Yeah. I love your response. It's, you know my my co host Gina. Um, she is. I, I would say she also has a thin privilege, and she identifies with that. Mm-hmm. And we got into this text exchange a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, "Because I always just say I struggle with intuitive eating. I just mm-hmm. struggle because I, I live in a body that I wish was a smaller size for for mm-hmm. for many reasons. I mean, it's not overly difficult to find clothes, mm-hmm. but I want to look good. I, I you know I, I want to feel good, and I do for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, but I think if we were being honest, Honest, we all want to change something about our bodies. I mm-hmm. think that's just human nature. And so what I was trying to tell Gina was trying to make it relatable to her because I know she's on this like wrinkle thing. Like we, we all <laughs> want like this perfect complexion. I said, think about it this way, Gina. I didn't know how else to like have it resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, but if every bite you took that you didn't like need, let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> like every bite that was like a pleasure bite or I, I don't know, just every additional bite mm-hmm. that you took, could make your wrinkles worse, it would make you think differently about that food. Yeah. And I, I don't know how else, like i I'm trying to come up with a different analogy, but, and I, I don't know if that resonated with her, but I was like, I, was like, I know Gina cares about wrinkles. <laughs> I was just trying mm-hmm. to like help her understand why somebody living in a larger body may just struggle a bit more living a life, mm-hmm. you know, ingrained with intuitive eating. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, and then, and then I live with, a person, my husband, who definitely has thin privilege and he swears he doesn't. Um, but I can look at the I mean, I always joke, nobody would know a dietitian lives in my house. If you open my, I mean, it's like <laughs> Costco sized bags of like M&Ms. I mean, he eats great through the day, probably under eats, but you know, mm-hmm. who am I to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then he kind of, he, he's like a bear before bed. He just like stockpiles it all, but it's not uncommon for him to go through like four different courses of uh, desserts. I mean, we're, and we're talking mm-hmm. about decadent desserts. Yeah, I mean, yep, thousands of calories every single night. And Mm -hmm. I just sit there with my four ounces of wine, just watching it go down every night. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is not fair. You know, I mean, you Mm -hmm. defy science. And so hearing that 70%, um, I think that was the... The number seventy percent of yeah of adults' weight is is uh, determined by genetics. And when mm-hmm. I look at his dad, I'm like, yep. <laughs> um, you know, it's just interesting because and he, his sister and I have had the opposite conversation because she struggles a bit more. So yeah, it's just interesting to kind of open up that that conversation. And I think for me as a dietitian, um, and what Gina tells me, and she's so sweet, she's like, but you you live a healthy life, and I'm like yeah, I know. I just want to look like I live, you know, because mm-hmm. a stigma is out there. And, um, you know, as you said, breaking diet culture is a beast. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to be a big one and, and take a lot of time for people to kind of just see different perspectives on.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it, it's hard to come to terms with, you know, everyone has these different body shapes and sizes and you have to kind of think about it like, okay, well, if you have a shoe size of an eight and a half, you're not going to squeeze yourself in or feel shameful because you don't have a shoe size of six. Like, there's that's what it is. And I think that that's almost like the same thing as our bodies. We're all going to have different, um, you know, shapes and sizes. Fun fact growing up, I had a goal height. I wanted to be <laughs> 5'10. I am not 5'10, but I don't beat myself up about that. It's just that just, you know, isn't what my body was made to be. And I think that we really need to kind of start taking that approach with our shapes and sizes of our actual bodies as well. I
1: love that. I mean, who's not going to remember that? You know, you can't change your (laughs) shoe size and you can't change your height. So yeah, I love that. That's great, Colleen. Thank you. Okay. So I'm throwing a a question in here, and this is actually Mm -hmm. from a friend who's also a dietitian. um, And I think not thrown you for a loop here, but it's, a she asked, <laughs> I've been practicing intuitive eating for a bit now and have mm-hmm. allowed myself to eat what I want, but I still find myself having diet-like thoughts. I want to fit into my clothes. I want to protect my, my heart health that lead to guilt. How can I continue to move in the right direction?
2: Yeah. So the first thing I would, oh gosh, there's a lot of things I would say. Mm-hmm. So I had been you, so I feel you, um, but find support. That is, I can't, preach the benefits of finding support enough because i did not have that because this when i was really going through this and improving my relationship with food it was before this whole intuitive eating boom happened like i literally stumbled upon the book randomly in like the self-help aisle like it was so random years ago before it was a huge thing but if i had had people to tell me this is normal keep going you can do this you know you're just having a bad day that would have been immensely more helpful. And again, that's part of the reason why I've made this my career is to provide you that. So find that support um, and also know that, like we've said, dye culture is a beast. So there's going to be those messages, be it in the magazines, in the grocery store, on the billboards, on the commercials, whatever it might be. So having those thoughts is, unfortunately, I want to say diet culture is going, you know, going to be gone, but it's too big of a beast right now. It's normal to have those thoughts because those thoughts are being implanted in essence in your brain by those magazines, by those, uh, TV shows, you know, all of those things. So just know that it's normal to have those kind of thoughts. And the way that I kind of view it or explain it is that The more that you go through this process and the more that you strengthen your relationship with food and body, the more you're going to build up that suit of armor against those things. And they're going to be able to bounce off. But especially in those beginning stages, you have to really kind of, it's a really a conscious choice. So first of all, do not get angry at yourself for feeling that way. I'd be lying if I didn't look at, say that, you know, there are days when I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I do not like the way my body looks but then what you do is you make a choice. Okay. So this is the thought. Don't get upset about it. Just kind of say, this is the thought I'm having. What's, what do I want to do about it? So if it's not a thought that you want to happen, I literally say do some visualization and picture it just like floating away like a butterfly. Like I'm letting that thought go and then replace it with a new one. So this is really working to retrain your brain, which we work a lot on because Again, kind of how I describe retraining your brain away from those diet culture thoughts is so. Imagine you're going through the woods and you're going taking this path, right? It's super well, you know, well walked. It's very well carved out, and that's diet culture, and that's those negative thoughts. And you want to start having more positive thoughts about your body. You want to be more accepting of it. Well, if you've been in diet culture for so long, there is no path for that. You have to create it. So. What I say is you have to start replacing those thoughts with new ones. You have to start carving that new trail for you to be able to go down. And it's going to feel forced at first because there's no trail. There's sticks everywhere. There's lots of roadblocks in your way. But as you start to continue down this path, those sticks kind of go to the side. You start to see this trail form. And the more you do that, the more your brain is going to see that trail. And it's going to be like, okay, so... I come to this fork in the road, which is I'm looking at my body. What is my thought going to be, or, you know, I'm, I'm eating this food. What is my thought going to be about it? Your body now has two decisions to take. It can either take the diet culture path, or it can take the more food freedom path. And then as you start to continually make that choice towards the food freedom thoughts, then your body is going to be like, okay, got it. This is what you want to think. And it's going to start that way, start doing that automatically. But that takes time and it takes that consistent energy. And I will fully admit it's exhausting at first to constantly be like, okay, what's my, that's why I'm a big fan of mantras and affirmations because it's just boom, something you can go to, to replace that thought. Um, And it takes time. It takes conscious energy, but over time it becomes automatic. Just like listening to your hunger and fullness does, takes a lot of that upfront effort, listening, you know, looking at the hunger scale. Okay. How am I feeling right now? Kind of doing that assessment but it becomes automatic the more that you do it. You're creating that new path for you to take. And then when you don't take that other path, there are going to be trees falling in it. And it's just mm-hmm. not going to be something that you decide to take anymore because there's it's just not as prominent of a path. And you, that's kind of how those thoughts tend to kind of drop off. Does that make sense? Did I explain mm-hmm. that well? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's no, okay. I the visual, I, I have a terrible memory. That kind of stuff sticks with me. So <laughs> no, I think that, you know, that is a meaningful visual for so many people. Thank you. You have a you have great experience with all this. And you also have a very highly engaged and quickly growing social media platform. How has your social media success impacted your ability to change the lives of others? And what advice do you have uh, to those who may be missing the mark on both growing and engaging people through social media?
2: Yeah, I think that I attribute a lot of my business to social media. I mean, I, th- I think it's to be honest, I think social media is a double edged sword and you have to use it in the right way because it's so easy to, I always am talking about like, you have to cultivate your feed and get rid of the accounts that don't serve you. But when you open your eyes to all the amazing people that are out there and their amazing messages and you really start to engage in those, that's when social media is a beautiful thing. And I really try to use that and say, okay, you know, rather than, you know, me keeping my thoughts to myself on this, or, you know, seeing people one-on-one having a small practice, I just want to share my message. And with that, it allows me to impact so many more people and do it. it, Like I said, I'm type A, I'm all about efficiency. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's just like spread this message, get it to more people, because my bottom line is I just want to help people live their life because it is, too good for us to waste any more of it. I wasted too long myself and trying to figure this out. I don't want anyone else to do that. So being able to impact more people is, it's just an amazing thing. And I I am getting DMS every day from people literally around the world saying you've changed my relationship with food. And to me, that is just like, that's what keeps me going. Because if you are going into the social media space, I will say one piece of advice is to have a thick skin, because it Mm -hmm. can be very rough. People can be very mean when they're behind their safe computer screens. Um, And that's something that I've definitely, I did not have a thick skin at first, but I've built up over time. And you really just have to believe in your message and know that you're doing the right thing. And you're never going to make everyone happy. There are people who are going to disagree with you, but there are also going to be those people who are your tribe, those people who are your core followers, who, I I hate the term followers. I think of my, you know, social media space as more of a community because that's really what it is. Like I learn as much from my community as they do from me. And I just really think it's more of kind of like a a sisterhood kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're never going to please everyone. And you have to just be as, again, I feel like authenticity is a phrase that's thrown around and like, what does that really mean anymore? Um, but you just have to be you and people are love it. going to love it. People are going to hate it. And as long as you're being yourself, that is really important. And sometimes when I struggle with this, or I'll put up a, a controversial post, my husband will always be like, okay, well, Colleen, what do you believe in? And did you do that post to make other people happy? Or did you do that post because it's you and it's what you believe in? And just asking yourself that question just really kind of puts everything into perspective.
1: hmm hmm Yeah, that's great. And I absolutely adore following you. <laughs> I,
2: thank you. <laughs> if there's that word again,
1: right? But, um, you know, I think not everybody has a voice um, or mm-hmm. wants to have a voice, quite honestly. And, and you know, mm-hmm. that's where leadership comes in. And, um, you know, dietetics needs leaders, strong leaders and innovators. And I, I definitely consider you one of those people. And well, thank you. I just appreciate you so much coming on the show, sharing yes. your expertise and insights. And please, please, please tell us if we want more information. I know where to find you, but can you tell our listeners where they can find you?
2: Yes. So you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram at no.food.rules. I'm also, I've been really loving YouTube lately. Um, So you can find me at Colleen Christensen there. And then my website is ColleenChristensenNutrition.com. And I have loads of different um, really articles on, okay, how do I implement this framework to really help guide you there? Then I also have loads of recipes because I'm a big. I mean, food's meant to be enjoyed, and I want to also I want to help you improve your relationship with food, but I also want you to enjoy food. So we kind of come at it from both angles on the website.
1: You got it going on, girlfriend. I love it. (laughs) It's it's so great to see you just like go from baby dietitian to like (laughs) dietitian extraordinaire, just slaying it and just helping people right and left online in in your business. It's. It's awesome, and you know, I, I think women in general, you know, we can be so hateful, and and mm-hmm. it's all that insecurity. But I am team like female power. I want to lift up the women in my life doing amazing Amen, things, and so <laughs> praise, praise you because you got it going on. And so thank, thank you, you so much for joining us today, and yeah, we'll link all of your social stuff in um and website in the show notes. And without further ado, enjoy the beautiful weekend.
2: Yes. Thank you. You too. You too with the little little gorgeous girl. Thanks. Talk to you soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, bye. All right, Gina. Back with you.
0: Tell mm-hmm. me, Mom Win, favorite new product or recipe? So I've gotten totally lazy in the kitchen lately. I think <laughs> it's because we are, I don't know. I don't know why I have no excuse. But I did have several of your recipes from your first cookbook uh, kind of earmarked. I was planning on making your zucchini and sausage pizza yesterday, but I did not make it. So I'm making it today. So I'm excited to see how that will turn out. And then also your Tex-Mex. I was so mad. I was supposed to make that a couple of days ago. Your Tex-Mex chicken pockets. Again, from your first cookbook. It looks so good. But I went to the store on Wednesday and forgot to get chicken. <laughs> now I could go back and get it, obviously, but... I just haven't. So those will be on my uh, agenda for tonight and then for, I believe, Tuesday. So I'm excited about that. So hopefully our next episode, I'll be able to talk about how delicious they were. Cool. What about you? Um, You got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing.
1: Well, so mine is like a steal from Mark. So for his, oh, was it? No, it wasn't Father's Day. What would it have been? Wait, Father's Day didn't pass. Why, why would nope. I have gotten him a gift? Oh, it was our anniversary. Jeez. I'm like, why am I buying him things? Okay. So for our anniversary, I am a terrible gift giver. Um, It's kind of a joke, but I got, and I don't think I mentioned these yet, but I got Mark bone conducting headphones. I think that's what they're called. Okay. Um, Yeah. Bone conduction headphones. What does that mean? So basically there's no piece that goes into the ear. It just yeah. like hovers outside the ear and it it just like sends the volume, like the whatever the noise, like directly into the ear channel. Um, So you can, if you're super close to the person, you can hear a little something, but you can also hear then kind of what's going around. So for runners or people who exercise outside, it's nice because you still have like situational awareness through kind of your just, you know, what you're hearing, but you can hear Mm -hmm. the music really, really well. And for people who either find like headphones to be like earbuds or something like that, either for my, my issue is I sweat profusely and then they just fall out. Um, yes, or, I've had ugh, I love that. Oh, hate uh-huh. that. Or people who just find them uncomfortable to wear. These go mm-hmm. around the back of the head. And I mean, Mark sweats more than anyone I know. And he's <laughs> he loves them. Oh. He is okay. obsessed. So the brand is Aftershocks S-H-O-K-Z. Um AeroPex open ear wireless bone conduction headphones.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So Yeah, I had that same issue, especially in you know, I don't normally sweat a whole lot. I've told you that before. But in the summer humidity, especially when I'm when I'm outside running and I'm bouncing up and down, like it's one thing to bounce up and down but then I'm sweating and it gets in my ear and it's just gross. Yeah. And Do you remember when we worked yeah. out in the closet? <laughs> of course. Oh my gosh. When it was we a were,
1: big closet. OK, it was a very big closet. But you and I were in there just like we had an iPad like propped up on what was it? An ironing board. Yes. And we were just like I was like sweating everywhere, and I had a towel. It was a well that was like the trip from hell. Gosh,
0: um, <laughs> everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Pretty literally much, yeah. everything. It was, was so fun.
1: It was so fun. It was so fun. So that's my mom went. Okay, uh, read a awesome. review. So yes, KTW219 said I started listening a year ago because I enjoy learning more about healthy eating and liked how informative this podcast is while still being entertaining. Now as a new mom, I enjoy it even more. And looking for, look forward to being able to implement more of Gina and Nicole's tips as my son gets older and starts eating food. So love awesome. it. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much.
0: Yes. Thank you. Coming up on July 5th, the day after the 4th of July, I can't believe it's on a Saturday this year. It's weird. We will be dishing about habits to increase energy levels. Just what you'll need the day after partying on the 4th if the parties aren't all canceled. <laughs> Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds and you don't even have to write anything. Just fill up the stars. Right until next time, everyone. Be well, and Nicole. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gina. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye bye.